ho, ho. It's a very smithy Christmas here on SENZ. It's time to relive some of the finer moments from an incredible year of sport. Here's the man himself, Santa Claus. Ian Smith. Straight up, and this could be it. Conway is underneath it. Is this the moment New Zealand can finally celebrate? They certainly can. And that is a good old-fashioned hiding, whatever way you look at it. Christmas is coming, so don't buy me nothing. I got what I wanted, I got what I needed. And Christmas is coming, so don't buy me anything. I got what I wanted, I got what I needed. It's you. Happy Christmas everyone, very special day of the year for dads, mums, families and it is a great time of the year and uh, Logan Swinkles and I are with ours at the moment as we speak so it's just a wonderful time to be alive and just uh, forget about things uh, that trouble us in the world but to celebrate things that have really been special to us in the last 12 months and for us of course here on SENZ in the mornings. That's sport, isn't it? And what a wonderful year at sport it's been. So many highlights to reflect on. Uh, I go way, way back to uh, the Winter Olympics when uh, two special, special people uh, we put pressure on to perform, Zoe sadusky sinnott and young Nico Porteous, and did they front up for us. Uh, that was a great example of uh, the acid being put on and people delivering. And one of the real highlights for the year, going right through, throughout the ups and downs of the All Blacks, the Black Caps, our favourite teams, of course, the Kiwis with the expectations of going to the World Cup and delivering, not quite able to do it there. Uh, and then our golfers, the Stephen Alkers, the Ryan Foxes, the Lydia Coes of the world for me. Um, it's just been such a great year, topped off by, though, Logan Swinkles, I guess we have to say... The Black Ferns, who uh, came from nowhere under super coach the Professor Wayne Smith. Um, I imagine he's getting a nice pre uh, Christmas present. He should do, as, as, as all the Black Ferns should as well. But that, to me, I think will be the signature event, the signature sporting event of 2022. The Black Ferns. Oh, Smithy, that final, the Rugby World Cup final, was just unbelievable. Like, to me, that was the way rugby needs to play needs to be played it was highly entertaining and it wasn't just down to the personalities like we love the ruby toys we love the porsche women's and the like it was so unfortunate that uh, porsche woodman will probably not even remember that final with the way that she was knocked out uh in the first half you hate to see things like that happen but for them to then take that the challenges that were laid down by england i mean that you have to say they kind of blitzed through the group stage then they got tested well against France that was one beast another beast was getting over England wasn't it Smithy and boy did they do it oh look it was, it was just incredible they were never going to beat France 12 months ago uh, you know when we had Christmas dinner last year women's rugby was in a mess mm -hmm. it was in a state of a of state of flux uh, they were never going to beat France they were never going to have the power to beat England they found it they found it with a formula that they had um, and, and they brought all these elements that came in. Sure, yes, there was Wayne Smith. There was Mike Cron, of course, coming in there. There was Sir Graham Henry, great old Ted, looking over the whole show. And, of course, um, you know, we have the influence of other people that have been around the scene for quite some time. Uh, and I thought it was important that they integrated the old with the young to make sure that there is a future going forward. But we didn't pick them to win it. In all honesty, I didn't. I'm a, I'm a punter, and I, I wouldn't have put a dollar on them at the start of the year. Uh, but as the tournament uh, progressed, 
I started to get a little bit more interested. They were still underdogs for the semi-final and the final, but they managed to deliver. It was such a special, special event, and let's hope that <coughs> New Zealand rugby, and women's rugby in particular, can cash in from here on in. But I did mention before, uh, Logan, that uh, golf has had such a, f a phenomenal year, and it has. Uh, and one of the uh, most memorable uh, achievements for me uh, came from Ryan Fox. Lydia Ko winning on the LPGA Tour. Well, that was amazing. Uh, the level of consistency from uh, Stephen Alka was also quite astounding, finishing top of the PGA Champions Tour against the great names uh, of the past who are still great golfers in their own right. Uh, and, 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 of course, Ryan Fox doing some great things on the DP World Tour. We spoke with Ryan shortly after he won the Alfred Dunhill Lynx Championship at the Old Course in Andrews, a tournament he had played several times before with his great mate, the late Shane Warne. And Warne was never far from his mind, to be fair. Warne is still close to our hearts today. But winning in St Andrews with his family in attendance, of course, Grant uh, and Adele, his parents who have been with him from day one, was surely the greatest win of Ryan Fox's golfing career to date. And this is how Foxy saw it. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you there. I mean, it doesn't get a whole lot bigger than uh, than winning a tournament at St Andrews. So obviously, the Open might be slightly bigger, but um, yeah, regardless, Dunhill Links is such an iconic event, and um, yeah, to, to to be the champion there this year is, is pretty amazing, to be honest. Well, I, I'm a great believer that there's fate in life, and there's fate in sport as well. Um, You've won this uh, in front of your parents, uh, your, your wife, uh, your, of course your daughter as well. I mean, they live so far away. You've got this great affiliation with this tournament, uh, which you have with Shane Warne as well. Uh, he, he passed away, as we all know, um, not that long ago. Uh, and I just think there's a sense of something different about this for you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, yeah, it's the first time my wife and little one have seen me win. Uh, on this tour, um, you know that they travel a lot, but they missed the, the other two, so that's that's pretty cool to have them there. Mum and Dad travelled up from New Zealand and saw three, well, two weeks of non-golf or miss cut, and then um, you know obviously this, so that was that was pretty special to have them there. And then you know obviously Warney, he was my partner for this event. I think the last four, maybe five years, um, and you know to. To not have him there this year was was very sad. You know, we had a, we had a lot of fun at this event, and you know, to be able to call someone like that a mate was was pretty special. Someone I idolised growing up, bowling a little bit of leg spin, and um, yeah, my last memory of him was at this tournament last year. Um, you know, we finished second in the team event, and he was absolutely buzzing. And as Warney was at this event, very very hungover on Sunday. Um, but that's just, you know, that was just that was that was just that was just him, and um, you know I would love to be able to share the experience of, of leading and and coming down the stretch and winning the tournament with him this year. You know he, being the competitor he was, he absolutely loved that environment, and um, yeah, there was definitely some sadness there this year. But as you said, probably probably a little bit of fate there as well. You know, I felt like he was he was there with me, and I had a little bit of luck, especially on Sunday, and you know maybe maybe he was down. He was looking down on on it with a with a vodka Red Bull and and maybe kicking a couple <laughs> of balls the right direction for me. He would have uh, he would have been watching. I, I I would venture to say uh, Ryan that you woke up um, yesterday morning or this morning your time in better shape than you perhaps would have been if you were celebrating with uh, Shane Warne. Uh, yes, yes. I don't think I would have actually woken up if Warney was there. I think I just would have stayed awake, knowing knowing yeah. him. But it was actually it was very uh, it was very quiet last night. Uh, to be honest, um, 
yeah, was just had a couple of drinks, um, had a very cool experience at one of the pubs in St Andrews, uh, Grey Fries. Obviously, there's a lot of golf history in in the whole town, and, and you know that's a pub that's you know, very much into its golf. And I got to pour a pint and got a standing ovation from the from the whole pub while we were there for dinner. So that was that was that was very cool. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a lot different than the celebration for earlier in the year at Razalkaima, but. Um, yeah, it's still, still a good one nonetheless. Right, let's uh, look at uh, some of the um, things that happened uh, on that last round. Uh, you, you started the day four shots behind uh, leader Richard Mansell, but uh, I think on the second or third hole he double bogeyed and all of a sudden uh, you're very close to the top of the leaderboard. What were you, what were you thinking standing on the first? Uh, to be honest, I wasn't thinking about much. I just, it's you know, around St Andrews, there's always a score out there. You just got to get away with a few shots. Um, yeah, it's a funny golf course to play. It's not. You can make a lot of birdies around there, but you're also playing away from making a big mistake because there's so much room. If you hit one in one of the bunkers or you hit one out of bounds, which is can be easy enough to do depending on the wind direction, you feel like a bit of a muppet. So. Um, while you want to be aggressive, you don't want to make a big mistake. So it's a little bit of that, but knowing you have to shoot a low score, and I kind of had nothing to lose yesterday, to be honest. Um, you know, Richard being four in front, it's it's a, and I know what that feeling's like. It's an uncomfortable position, but you know, you know it's in your hands, and um, I had to do something pretty special, and or he had to help me out, and he he, he sort of did the latter. He looked a bit uncomfortable all day, and um, you know, you know, I was lucky enough to sort of be able to take advantage of that. Uh, look, I know Ryan Fox, the golfer, is not a big fan of slow play. In fact, uh, one of the commentators said yesterday you're probably one of the quickest players uh, on the DP Tour, um, perhaps if not in world golf. Uh, so yesterday you play in this format, of course, where you have uh, just not the three professionals, but you have amateur partners as well. Not necessarily all uh, have partners at that stage of the tournament. Some have been knocked out as such. But uh, in terms of the general flow of the game, it's not your cup of tea in that respect, unless you're playing with a character like a guy like Shane Warne. Yesterday at crucial stages, it was slow. Uh, you can see yeah, it was just getting to a wee bit. Yeah, it definitely got me a little bit through the middle of the round. Um, I felt like... We were a bit behind early, which I actually don't mind because I, I never feel under pressure if you've got to catch up. And you know, I, I, early on, it, I, it was in, I was in great rhythm, and then we kind of wasted a long time on the eighth tee, and I just sort of lost focus a little bit and had a had a couple of average shots. But you know, thankfully the, the putter saved me a little bit through there. On, I made a nice birdie on nine, and um, then sort of got it back a little bit again. Um, you know, ten, eleven, twelve, hit some great shots there, and then we got quite behind on 12 um, with Richard sort of having a, a drop in there and hitting a couple of shots off the tee and um, I just sort of again lost my rhythm a little bit coming down the, the back nine and yeah as I said before it's kind of a golf course you, you're playing to not make a big mistake and with a lead you know there's there's some places to make a big mistake on that back nine you can hit it out of bounds on 14, 16, 17 and 18 easy enough I mean Alex Noren tried really hard on 18 to do that in regulation and I tried pretty hard on 16 to do it as well so it's yeah you, I sort of play to not make mistakes coming down those last few holes with the lead which is probably not the right thing to do but it's it's kind of really hard not to on a golf course like that when you know you've got the world left and you just can't hit it right. On 17 which of course is uh, the road hole uh, with the, the, the famous bunker you, you pulled it left um, so you're looking at the leaderboard. I, I would imagine uh, you knew exactly where you were. 
your mindset going into that, and then of course you, you hit probably um, a disappointing chip, I think, to, to say the least, of with your third. Um, what, what's going through your mind at this point uh, with the crowd so close to you there? Yeah, I mean, 17's a really uncomfortable tee shot. I, I don't know if TV gives a good perspective on it, but you've got to hit it so close to the hotel. And again, the penalty for missing it's really bad. And I, I knew where I stood. I knew I had a decent... I, I think I was three shots on that lead, on that tee. And I think Callum Shinkwin birdied at uh, 18 to make it a two-shot lead. So yeah, it's basically just don't make a big mistake. And... You know, luckily in the in the Dunnell links, you know, left's okay. There's not a lot of rough left. Generally, they they make it a bit nicer for the Amis that week. Um, and so I mean, I'm standing there, just get it left, get it somewhere up near the front of the green, and then you know, at worst case, make five. And through two shots, I've done a pretty good job of that. And then I, I just made a silly decision. I sort of was in between wanting to chip it, wanting to putt it, and um, you know. Didn't commit to the chip shot I, I hit and, and hit a bad one, and then all of a sudden I've got you know 75 feet or whatever, whatever it is for par, and mm. um, you know I made a really nice two putt there. But all, you know all going through my head is just at least make a bogey here, and you know you've got a you know you've you've got a one shot lead going down 18, and um, it's, you know thankfully 18 is not the most difficult hole in the world. Um, you just again not trying to hit it right, and thank, thankfully Alex didn't hold a. 65 footer across the green on 18 like it looked very good for a long time from standing side on and um, you yeah, know I had the luck on my side this time and yeah, it was a bit of relief to know I had a sort of 20 foot two putt to, to win the tournament but it was a it was a pretty nervy last few holes and um, I was yeah very very relieved at the end to, to have got the job done. It was a, a, a quite an interesting last uh, 20 minutes because those that have followed you will know um, in a couple of tournaments, uh, Russell Knox and Victor Perez have knocked uh, down putts from around the other side of the world to, to stop you. And all of a sudden, uh, Noren stands up there, hits it out of bounds, it bounces back, and he's got an eagle putt to perhaps tie you. I mean, freakish. Uh, I just wondered, did you have a, a, a wee recollection there or were you too focused on what you had to do? Uh, to be honest, I didn't. I, I wasn't even thinking about it that much. Uh, I was trying to think about what I was trying to do, which is probably a good thing. And it didn't. It almost didn't click in my head that if Noren had held that putt, he would have tied me. And then I, when it was rolling up short, I was going, "Oh no, here we go. Here we go again." Uh, I kind of kind of clicked sort of halfway along that putt when it looked good. And I, was, you know, thankfully it couldn't happen again. I mean, I. I don't know how many how many footage of putts people have hold against me in playoffs, but it's it's a loss. And um, you know, this time the luck was on my side in that regard. And you know, it was nice to just roll my one up pretty close and make it a pretty easy tap in for the win. Can I just ask you? Um, we all know Grant Fox, the rugby player. We know him the selector. We know him the rugby analyst as such. What about the the golf watcher and his reaction at the end of it? I saw the the very quick embrace as you went to go and sign your card, etc. But um, tell us about his reaction. To be honest, it was it, it all becomes a lure for me after I hold that last part. I was so focused on what I was trying to do, and then the brain just completely switched off. To be honest, so that last the hour after winning just is a blur. But I know Dad's not a good watcher. I know that he's um, he's always someone that that likes control, and being a spectator means no control. Um, so. Yeah, I think he. I think he can be a little bit difficult to walk around with in that regard. But he absolutely loves it, and obviously he just wants the best. But you know, it's 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 definitely stressful for him. But he was he was obviously very very happy, and Mum 
it was great to have him and mum there supporting. And you know, as I said, it'd been a tough, tough little stretch with mm. them, with you know, lost bags and injuries and and you know, missing weekends and stuff like that. So to, to be able to share that with them was was just awesome. Right now, Ryan. Uh, um, the other thing that has happened, of, of course, you weren't so many points that your world ranking now is uh, up to twenty-five, which is absolutely astonishing when you think of the quality of golf around the world. Does that mean? Does that alter you, your thinking in terms of resetting your golf calendar? Uh, not so much for this year, but it certainly makes a difference for next year. Um, you know, it's, it's more than likely the Masters is a lock. Um, you know, that, that's top fifty by the end of the year, so it'd be pretty hard for me to drop out of out of that by by thirty first of December. And it also brings in a lot of the big events in America early next year. You know, the, the invitational events that take top fifty in the world. Um, that, you know, again, I, I've got a lot of opportunity still at the end of the year and. It would be pretty hard to drop out of the top 50 um, by that time next year. So it definitely changes the schedule a lot for, for early next year. But, um, you know, that'll be all, you know, pretty exciting to, to get a chance to play in, in some of those big events. Well, uh, Ryan, I uh, appreciate you being in hot, hot demand. We're so grateful you gave us uh, some of your time uh, this morning, our time. Uh, we loved it, mate. It's just a, an amazing achievement. Um, uh, people are talking about it around New Zealand, and so they damn well should too. It, it's just uh, fantastic to win such a prestigious event. Congratulations again. Say hello to the family for us, and um, enjoy. Enjoy it. Continue to enjoy it, mate. It was wonderful. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Smithy, and just thanks to everyone at home. The support's been amazing. Around 5pm there's 11 of us credit cards in the way. Well, rugby, of course, is never far from our minds, and of course, the All Blacks are always central to everything we think about, we've, we plan for, and we watch uh, with a lot of interest. And we've watched this season, or a year, in fact, which has had more ups and downs uh, than any rugby year I can possibly remember in my time. A lot of it, uh, of course, central to the coaching situation, the captaincy situation. Uh, and at one point, uh, we all know that uh, Ian Foster was clinging to his job going down the side of a building, basically running out of fingernails at that point. And then it came to the last eight or nine minutes, didn't it, at Alice Park in Johannesburg. He was down a player with Bowden Barrett in the bin, as he tends to spend some uh, important times in the bin, Bowden, actually, to be fair. I think that's his fourth yellow card. Uh, <laughs> anyway, just so I digress br briefly. Uh, but there he was with 14 men who absolutely jumped out of their skins for him. They turned around, they got up, they beat the Springboks, and everyone said it with all the planning around Scott, Razor, Robertson, etc., uh, that Ian Foster, after debate, after debate, would keep his job. One of the most unbelievably tumultuous years in New Zealand rugby. Finished uh, a little bit better than uh, it started. Uh, we're losing, of course, to Ireland. 
And then, of course, we lost uh, to Argentina. We're never going to lose to Argentina, but we did. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we get to a situation where they have an unbeaten Northern Tour, but blow it in the last nine minutes. Uh, and that's uh, the last nine minutes of rugby we'll remember for the All Blacks. So, in essence, Logan, a B- minus for me. Not sure about you. Yeah, B- minus is probably about right. Maybe C- plus with the way that they've kind of handled uh, everything, uh, both on and off the field. Eight wins, four losses, and a draw, as you say. I mean, that's the one we're going to remember. I was there that day when they had that press conference when Mark Robinson uh, waltzed into New Zealand rugby, which is just down the hallway from ECNZ here in Auckland, and he comes in with Ian Foster, and you just knew in that moment that Fozzie was staying and they were standing by their man, and he was going to be the one that leads them through to the World Cup. And I know there's been a lot of criticism around the All Blacks this year, Smithy, but it has been great to see the way that the players have stood by Fozzie and with the results that we have seen since then. It's been up and down, sure, but we're seeing a level of adversity from the All Blacks that we're not really used to. And maybe in a year leading up to a World Cup, that's not really a bad thing. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. Because, um, as you say, bad rehearsal, good performance. Maybe you're on the right track there. Let's hope so. Uh, certainly, uh, it has been a year to remember, though, hasn't it, for women's sport. 2022 will go down as a marquee year. It started with the White Ferns hosting the ICC Women's Cricket World Cup. What an event that was. Privileged enough to be able to commentate on it and see the interest involved in that. Then, of course, the focus shifted to the Black Ferns as they looked to turn things around after that disastrous end of year tour to the north in 2021. In the build-up to the World Cup, the big question was who would coach the Black Ferns following the resignation, or was it the sacking, of Glenn Moore in April? The answer became very obvious. Wayne Smith, a really popular choice. The professor. He helped the All Blacks to win the World Cup at home in 2011. Now he was looking to do the same thing for women's rugby. Well, I spoke to Wayne Smith shortly after he was appointed as Blackfern's Director of Rugby. Some interesting insights coming out of this one. Morning, Smitty. Well, you've taken on some challenges uh, over the years. Uh, uh, this was uh, a slightly different one, mate, bearing in mind the time frame and everything. Yeah, no, it's been an interesting journey. Smitty, you know, I um, qualified for the pension on Tuesday and then I'm <laughs> director of rugby for the back <laughs> the next day. Uh, yeah, I offered my services a while ago to help the coaches and it's grown a wee bit since then. But, um, yeah, I'm pretty excited, actually. I've got good support from my family to do this and, yeah, I'm, I'm keen to get into it. Yeah, it's interesting because, of, of course, when you took the role on as in support, of course, uh, Glenn Moore was, uh, was all in, for all intents and purposes, going to be the head coach. Did it take you long to, to, to say, look, no, I'm pretty happy to take over? Yeah, given my, my initial conversation was something, this was back in about January, was something like, um, you know, if you like, I could help with um, some of the technical coaching with the coaches, do a bit of mentoring, um, that sort of thing. So I was pretty keen to do that. Yeah, so it's grown like topsy from there. Um, wasn't what I expected, probably wasn't what I wanted at the time, but um, when I came to the first camp, I, I could see how excited everyone was, the, the girls on the edge of the seats when you're, when you're talking about stuff, they shining eyes, they keen as, and yeah, I just think I'm excited by doing it, but there's also a responsibility there, I think, to help get things cracking. I just wonder about the, the fix. Everyone, uh, were we slightly mis, um, misled by the results in the UK prior to Christmas? I mean, is it is it as, as big a fix as we imagine? 
I don't think so technically or attitude wise to to playing a more attacking game. I, I think I think we've got that personality. You know, New Zealand's always New Zealand rugby's always been great at reinventing itself through history. So I think there's that um the the big issue that I've seen from watching the games has been around um, conditioning. So the you know, you're getting girls from the England team and French team who've been in professional club competitions for a while, I think England three years. So they're way ahead in terms of um, not having to work um, day jobs, um, having strong conditioning programs, and they're they're a really good shape. And, and so are the French, and there'll be others too, such as Canada and and America, who have a lot of girls playing in the Premiership in England, which is a professional competition. So I think, yeah, I think we're lagging behind, frank, frankly, in in that area. Um, it's whether we can catch that up um, to enhance the game we want to play. That that'll be the question. And uh, to do that, you've brought in uh, Amanda Murphy. Uh, tell us a wee bit about Amanda with the importance of, of what you've just said. Yeah, so um, we've got Craig Twentyman as a um, as a strength conditioning coach who's um, responsible for um, the team, but also getting around the country, around the hubs, to make sure that um, they're working hard with these girls. We've got a few fully professional contracts now. Um, we, you know, we're hoping we'll get more. And um, and get them up to speed. Yeah, so Nurse come in. Um, so she's had a long association with women's sport, with women's rugby, and women's sports. She's an athlete herself. Um, we've got a lot of women actually in, in the organisation. People are saying, you know, oh, you haven't young enough women in the coaching. But you know, strength and conditioning coaching. There's um, we've got nutritionist. We've got um, a couple of physios. Um, so so there are women here. Um, I'd just like to see um, progression of women's coaching uh, to be accelerated a bit, Smithy. You know, I often tell a story, but in 98, oh, sorry, 88 through to 91, I was um, coaching director for Canterbury Rugby after I finished playing. And I had a group of staff coaches, and three of my my staff coaches who helped me with running coaching courses were women players, so Jackie Apiata and Natasha Wong and Mary Dovey. And no, that's a long time ago, mate. And they, they were very influential in, in rugby coaching down in Canterbury. It's a long time between drinks, but no no woman has come through as head coach recently. So I think we've got to progress that quickly. There's good women around the country. Um, we've got to fast track that at some point. Well, that, you know, that, I found that absolutely um, fascinating uh, to watch the development of women's cricket and, and um, as much as anything else, uh, Wayne. But I, I look forward to this competition because, uh, you know, this is one, you know, on our back doorstep and, and having played in one uh, myself at home, uh, you've coached in uh, ones at home as well. Uh, there's a slightly different aspect to it. And I, I think perhaps um, the girls are probably even though they've been so successful in, in various areas uh, on and off the field, I, I'm not quite sure they quite understand just how big it's going to be. Uh, and, and that, I think, can help yeah. when you're looking forward to the World Cup. Yeah, it can help or hinder. <laughs> uh, I think we learned over the years with the All Blacks how to make it help. And um, we were trying, that, trying to do the same with the girls, you know, and you just keep thinking, you know, a rugby World Cup game at, at um, Eden Park was 40,000 people there would be a unique experience for, for these women. And it'd be hell of exciting. It'd be one of the top experiences I've ever had, I reckon, if we could achieve that. So, 
um, that's the dream. Mate, it sounds like uh, you've got pl- plenty to do. I think we'll let you go and get uh, get your teeth into it. But, uh, I mean, I, I, I like the fact that you're, you're relishing the opportunity um, and, and it sounds good. And uh, even now, it, it sounds like we've got We've reached a point anyway where we're, we've we've put a full stop on something, and now we just go forward. Is that is that the way you see it? Yeah, that, that's exactly it. Um, you know, we're all friends with um, Glenn and, and Johnny Haggart. Um, I've made decisions. Oh, that's fine. We've now got a, a reduced group, but a close group, and yeah, I'm really excited by it. Well, Logan, uh, on the back of that Wayne Smith interview, where basically he had to introduce himself to a, a lot of them and almost have to wear name tags so he could remember their names. Wow, what a transition he made in the, the short time that he had together. And by international coaching standards, that was a very short period of time. He got them from where they were to where they are now, world champions. Yeah, incredible, Smithy. And how cool is it that both Wayne Smith and Sir Crane Henry win a World Cup at home with the All Blacks in 2011 and, and then get to do it again with the Black Ferns. I mean, I don't know if anything like that will ever be achieved again, but what they managed to do was incredible. And yes, he had to learn names, he had to learn faces, he came into it pretty cold, let's be fair. But the way he turned things around, there was a lot of question marks around the Black Ferns with the culture I mean, there were a lot of clouds coming into 2022, and when Glenmore left, you really were wondering what was going to go on here, especially when New Zealand was hosting that World Cup, that there would be a lot of pressure on them. The way that they stood up and the way that they took charge of this whole thing, it was incredible. Does anyone know uh, anyone better in New Zealand sport than Ruby Tui at the moment? I mean, she's a household name. She's a role model. She's a real role model. Uh, Portia Woodman, as you mentioned before, can't remember much of the grand final, uh, but her name and her medal will be very close to uh, everything that she does going forward. What a legacy she will leave when she finally finishes. And on that note, what about Kendra Coxedge, of course, one of the great servants of New Zealand women's rugby? Uh, her last kick of the ball was uh, in the Rugby World Cup final. Uh, Aruahe DeMont, uh, one of the great uh, world rugby players of this calendar year. Uh, and that is leaving out a lot, a lot, whose names are now becoming very familiar to us. And they will do in the years to come. Um, <clears throat> absolutely a, uh, what do you call it, a red letter year? Would, could you call it a red letter year? One of those, uh, a landmark year for Definitely. women's rugby going forward? Definitely. I mean, you've already mentioned it before. The, I mean, it's a landmark year for women's sport already uh, in 2022 you had the white ferns you've got the black ferns and then we just we're keeping the momentum going into 2023 with the football ferns and New Zealand co-hosting that FIFA Women's World Cup with Australia that is going to be huge Smithy I mean I, mm. I keep thinking how great the Cricket World Cup would have been if we didn't have the COVID restrictions how much the crowds in New Zealand would have gotten behind the White Ferns if they were there and how that might have potentially affected their performance if if they would have gone better who knows that's all in hindsight there's a lot to look forward to uh, next year as well with the Football Ferns and women's sport and we're seeing Super Rugby All Picky expanding a little bit 
No, probably not as much as we would like, but I mean, it's it's a start and it's the kind of process that does take a while. So it started in 2022, Smithy, but it's only going up from here. It is. Uh, women, women of sport in New Zealand, you should be very proud of 2022. You have been genuine achievers. This is not another Christmas Smithy Christmas here on SENZ. It's time to relive some of the finer moments from an incredible year of sport. Here's the man himself, Santa Claus, Ian Smith. Well, we hope you're having a terrific Christmas day. We've got the year in review here. Uh, Logan Swinkles and myself on behalf of uh, Brian Rarity and, uh, uh, of course, uh, Araha Hathaway, who have been uh, also very much a part of our show. We hope uh, everyone's having a great Christmas out there. And we could not review a year in New Zealand sport without talking about, guess who? The Warriors. Now, I, I can be honest with you, uh, folks at home, uh, when we look at our texts throughout the morning show in particular with Kempe and Izzy and co, uh, and then throughout us, you, you just mention the word Warriors, you get text, you get response every single time. It's like a go-to thing. If you're looking at a period of, of silence, you just mention Warriors. Uh, and all of a sudden, the lines light up. It's brilliant for us. Uh, and it wasn't a great year, let's be fair. It was awful. Uh, they had coaching issues, they had player issues, they had salary issues. There uh, was all sorts of things going on, and that's before they even took the park. One of the best things, though, Logan, is they came home. They yes. came home to a rousing return, um, and they, they put on a show. But it was a semblance, I think, a semblance of a showing that showed us now what we can look forward to in the year ahead. And that, of course, includes a brand-new head coach. Yeah, Andrew Webster coming in there from the Penrith Panthers. That was a big one. I know for Warriors fans, you do mention how much uh, uh, the fans love the team. It's it's just, it's like a cult. It's been around since 1995. It's not going away. Yeah, okay, so the Warriors finished second to last. At least they didn't finish uh, bottom there and take the wooden spoon. That went to the West Tigers. But with all the talks, Smithy, of how much the Warriors have done for the NRL. They kept it afloat. Peter Volandis and that will all sing their praises. Why is it that the NRL are now not having like more games in New Zealand? Yeah, the Warriors have their home games, but so far it seems like only the West Tigers, the West Tigers, want to pay it back. Small memories. Small memories. Big statements. Small memories. That's all I can put it down to. But we want to have them back. And we want to have them back because uh, 2022 was a tough year for the fans in particular. They're a passionate bunch. We know that. 
and most of you imagine that we'll be back next year because that's what you do. You put it behind you and move on. And the club uh, looks uh, to host NRL teams in New Zealand more regularly. Uh, perhaps not as often as uh, we would have liked, as we've just mentioned, given the level of sacrifice the team has made during the pandemic to keep rugby league going. But at least they are still here. And they will do so with a new coach at the helm. There's a familiar face, in fact, Andrew Webster, who returns after a successful stint with the Penrith Panthers as their attack coach. And how well did they go? We had the pleasure of having Andrew on the show just four days into his stint as the new Warriors head coach. This was quite revealing. Morning, Finny. How are you, mate? Yeah, really, really good, pal. Uh, listen, here, how are you settling into life at the Warriors? I mean, you've been here before, but uh, you're coming back in a slightly more powerful role. How's, how are you settling in? Yeah, mate, it feels like home. It um, feels like I never left. Um, I just mean, like, getting around the city, um, you know, where I used to go to dinner, I'd say the cafes. You know, a lot, a lot has changed, but a lot hasn't. So it feels like home. As for the Warriors, mate, um, yeah, I've been at work for four days, so... Um, Really enjoying it. Just um, a lot of the same staff, which is really cool. A lot of different people, which is nice to see. Uh, definitely feels like a fresh start. And I just feel like a lot of excitement about the opportunity of everyone coming home. And yeah, I feel, I feel like it's home for me already. Andrew, um, based on your success that you had with the Panthers, I would imagine it wasn't just the, the Warriors that uh, showed interest in you. Uh, why did you choose uh, coming back to New Zealand? Yeah, I. I think um, I think it is a huge advantage already being to a place. I think if you're a, you're going to take your first appointment as a head coach, you want to know you're going to feel comfortable there, and you want to know that you understand the bones of the organisation, and um, you sort of you watch them from afar um, when it's your old club. You always keep a closer eye on them than you probably do a club that you've never worked at. Um, and also having friends here and people I worked with, lost. Uh, I'm sure the the results haven't haven't been what everyone's wanted. Always feel like if uh, a few things change and feel like I could have an impact with other people on those things. So um, that always, I think that's a huge advantage. Um, I've actually lived, I've lived that and been here and understand that. Um, and also speaking to the club and knowing where they wanted to take and what their vision was was really aligned with what I what was I was interested in. And also, I love the city, love the people. I actually, um, my wife and I, when we lived here, loved the place. So, um, yeah, I, this this was a huge advantage for me for my first appointment um, where the club is at and where I think we can go and, and been here before. Andrew, of course, um, every every uh, NRL side has a, a, a very passionate support base. Warriors, of course, are passionate, but they've also been starved of a lot of action because of COVID, etc. So this is quite uh, an exciting season in that regard for the fans. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you look at look when the games that came home late last year, you look at the... Um, you obviously just see how much they, they missed it. Um, already been in town for four days and... You really see a lot of people talking about it. You can see the passion, the excitement. Um, you know, we just we just got to give them something exciting now um, to cheer about. Um, but I think I think the um, the fan base here is probably it's got to be one of the most loyal, if not the most loyal fan base uh, in the NRL. Um, yeah, and just excited for for us to reconnect uh, with the whole community. I, I think. The way they reconnected at the end of the last year, the way the club did it and the players and 
uh, had some strong performances at home, I think. You know, and that, that game against the Tigers when they came home, walking through that tunnel with the fireworks, I was sitting at home with goosebumps. So uh, I think the fans, the fans are going to have to be really excited that we can reconnect with them all. Andrew, in terms of uh, your coaching staff, uh, as you say, you're only four days into uh, the role officially as such, but uh, what role specifically for your coaching setup um, do you envisage now? Uh, and um, a question from the audience as well, did, did you have any say in picking your coaches or did that come too late? No, no I definitely had a say. Um, so obviously Stacey Jones is a club legend, good friend of mine. Um, I value him as a, what, he, what he delivers to the club as a coach and as a person. Um, obviously, I feel Stacey's going to, if anything, but grow from, from the opportunity of being interim coach and leading the leading the team. So yeah, that was a no-brainer. Um, um, Justin Morgan plays the club, plenty of experience. Um, pretty excited um, um, to work with Justin. I've worked with him before. Um, around, I think, Justin's strengths are going to suit the way that I think we should play. Um, we... Um, Hired, um, play, um, we hired a guy called Rich Agar, who's got plenty of international coaching experience. Uh, he was looking to make the move to the NRL from Super League. Uh, a lot of clubs were after him, and I've been lucky enough to work with him at international level um, and coached a lot against him in the Super League. So he's a really experienced head coach in the past and assistant coach. Uh, he's even sat in some general manager roles and things like that. So, um, yeah, he's, he's really exciting, and we've got... Clay Griffin, who's a young up-and-coming coach, is going to coach our New South Wales Cup. Um, and Slate's going to obviously mentor a lot of players transitioning um, up and down from first grade, back down, back up, to make sure eventually that they, they're they here playing every week in, week out in the NRL. And then obviously Adam Blair, which is really cool. The next player's coming on to coach our uh, SG Wall side, which is exciting. You've also got, of course, uh, Andrew McFadden coming in to look after recruitment and pathways uh, going forward as well. Have you spoken much with Andrew? Yeah, I have, mate. I have. Um, yeah, yeah, once again, I spoke about the advantage of being here before. And I think Tucky certainly got that. Uh, he understands the place. He's really excited in that role. Um, you know, having worked with Tucky before, I just know how um, how he how detailed he is around planning and putting putting the plan in place. We, I know Cappy's already pretty excited what the Pathways group has been doing while whilst um, the, the team's been away. Um, so he's walking into something that he thinks can be exciting. Um, there's a big plan for my, myself, the club, uh, and Cappy, and I think everyone agrees, is trying to make sure that we create a really strong pathway for our kids. Um, so he's certainly going to let it up. I think, I think the strongest thing Cappy can do having the next... Uh, like a coaching background is he can really develop our local coaches as well uh, and he can also um, streamline and, and make sure that we're keeping the best New Zealand kids in New Zealand Andrew uh, you were so successful uh, as the attack coach for the uh, Panthers of course uh, is, that, is that a part of your portfolio you want, you want to keep your eye on as well is that, is that something you want to be very hands on with the attack side of it yeah, I, I think the last uh, probably is my whole coaching career. I think there's been different times where I've I've been the attack coach, and then I've been lucky enough to do five years in a row as a defence coach here, and then back to attack. And uh, I, I think that kind of sets you up for the day that you do become a 
a head coach that you're across it all and you've had experience in both things. Um, I think the big thing I spoke to the club about and obviously the supportive in a group is trying to just get the, a world-class coaching group together um, that you can trust and know um, that, that, that all our ideas are on the same page and they can put together a, a really cool program for the players. Um, but, yeah, to answer your question, I still want to be hands-on. I want to coach. Um, I've got some ideas around that. But, um, yeah, I'm certainly not going to be as hands-on on the field as I was because um, uh, you've got to be across it all, the defence, the attack, um, the pathways. You, you've got to have an eye on everything. But I'm certainly going to be more hands-on, I think, a lot of head coaches initially. When you took the role and since you took the role, have you had any uh, sort of chat with Ivan Cleary uh, about it? Because, of course, uh, he knows uh, pretty much what it takes to, uh, to to be involved with the Warriors at the at the top level. So um, did you, did you, have you spoken much with Ivan? Yes. Oh, oh I, it's funny because um, I worked with Ivan at the Tigers. When I left the Warriors, I, spoke to, I worked with Ivan at the Panthers. Um so, like I said, you mentioned before, when, when you always keep an eye on your old club, a club that you like, and um, Ivan and I would have hundreds of discussions about the Warriors, what we saw. Uh, he obviously still loves the place. He talked about Auckland a lot um, and New Zealand and, and how much we loved it here. And then, obviously, when um, I said the Warriors were interested, then, obviously, we had a, we had a million conversations about the process and in, 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 in taking the job. And then obviously I had a you know, hundred conversations since since taking the job because I obviously work with him closely every day, um, and he's a good friend of mine. So uh, he's excited for me. He thinks it's going to fit. He's going to um, fit me like a glove. And he's obviously mentioned, he's, you know, any time I want some advice, which I've asked him some questions already. And as he said, he's had he's had heaps of success here, um, and he's obviously had success where he is now. So. Yeah, he, he's definitely going to be a mentor, even though he's going to be a competitor now. Uh, he has been a mentor, and, and he's, he's offered to stay that way. That's great news. Uh, Andrew, um, one of the, probably, the, I think, the most depressing things uh, that I remember from last season uh, as, a, as a, you know, a former sportsman my, myself was the reports that were coming out of the Warriors that uh, from the likes of uh, Nathan Brown, etc., that they didn't feel, and Stacey towards the end, they didn't feel they wanted to play. They didn't feel they had um, the desire to actually get out there and, and give it 100% week after week. Uh, you probably read those reports. What, what what can you do to ensure that doesn't happen this season? Uh, I think, um, and I mean this, I mean, I, I think early on as a group, as a coaching staff and a playing group, we've got to get together and address, you know, the past, meaning last year. We've got to talk about it. We've got to review it. Um, we're also going to be a new group, and it's going to be a new season. Um, players have left, new players are coming, new staff moving home. It's a fresh start, but... For us to move on, we're going to have to actually address that and have a chat about it. Um, and not just that, every every aspect about football, technical, tactical, mental, which you're talking about wanting to play, um, and just and just see what the players you know, are thinking, why, get to the bottom of stuff. And then once we do that, we can move forward. And then um, instead of looking backwards, we can look forward because it's certainly going to be a fresh start. But, yeah, we've just got to address it. The thing for me, I think the best way to do it is um, we're going we're gonna to have to work hard, we're going to have to build resilience, and we're going to have to become really close as a team. Um, a team that want to play for each other, play for play for the fans, and, and you know, play for New Zealand. So 
I think we create that and we create a happy environment where they want to come to work every day to learn, um, to work hard, but enjoy each other's company and, and make, make them want to come back the next day. That, that's the key. They want to come back the next day and they're enjoying it. You'll, you'll see that their, um, their efforts will improve. Your, your playmakers at Penrith were outstanding. One of the reasons, of course, I mean, you had a great all-round side, but uh, when you had uh, players the likes of uh, Nathan Cleary to create on your behalf, uh, you've got a great asset there. Who are those players? Who are those players at the Warriors in this coming season? You might hope to get some sort of replication, maybe not to the same level as a Nathan Cleary, but who are those guys you're depending on as such? Well, I think if you look at um, the Panthers, they, um, they actually had a, a great spine. If you look at it, everyone talks about the spine, so their hooker, their two halves and their fullback. And they even threw in Zio there, and they added him to the spine there um, as, the, as their lock and created him as a spine player. Um, <clears throat> if you look at us at the, at the Warriors, we've got a really good hooker in Wade Egan. Um, we've got Tamari Martin, who's played in the NRL Grand Finals at 5'8". He's obviously been at the Broncos recently returning, and he's going to come and play in the halves here. Sean Johnson, extremely experienced. I think we got, Sean plays his best football. Warriors are going to win games. I think that's pretty clear. And obviously, Chance, uh, returning to the club, he's played in grand finals as a fullback. Um, he's obviously gone all over the Kiwis. Um, and then you throw out Captain Torres, who can play that middle forward lock role. We've actually, they're the guys, because we've got a strong spine. And we've actually got some young guys. Um, um, Ronald and Metcalf, those guys coming through who, who can challenge these guys to, to position, keep them on their toes. At the same time, they're the guys we're going to be looking to to, to make the team gel and to, to lead us on the field. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty exciting. Well, I think um, you know from an outsider looking into one of the one of the other things that which is a little bit concerning is the way that the Warriors leaked tries at times. Uh, so along with Justin, I, I would imagine that's a, a really high priority to make sure it's a damn sight tougher to score against them this time round. Yeah, so um, our coaching model could be completely different too. So like we we're going to share the share a lot of responsibilities like that too. Um, um, yeah, with with Justin as you mentioned. Um, I, I feel like a lot of people look at the results of defence and they say, okay, must be must be a poor defensive team, which is common sense, and I, I agree with it. Like, you know, they're not. That's pretty obvious. They're leaking points and not doing well. But like they said, defence is a lot of attitude. There's a lot of technical parts to it, a lot of physical parts to it, but it's a lot of attitude. So um, we've got to learn to enjoy our defence and then enjoy. You know, defence isn't easy, and we've got to have the right attitude around it. So we've got to adjust and fix that. Definitely times, but definitely times when we didn't show the resilience that we needed. Um, and you also look at um, there's, there's a million different things can put too much pressure on your defence. It could be poor possession, not scoring enough points, um, constantly defending from from errors. You, you, you can't in the NRL these days. You just can't defend your line all night. We that's the, that's the aim that we can show enough resilience that we can. So we want to try and limit the pressure. But if we do do get put under it, we've got to be able to hold our gloves up and fight our way out of it. So I think there's a million different reasons, not a million, it's probably the wrong one, but there's reasons that we've got to we've got to look into the why the defence was where it was instead of just throwing stones and saying that we had terrible defence. And just finally, uh, Andrew, um, have you set 
Is it too early, or have you have you put a, a, a goal at the top of the whiteboard yet, as if to say, right, 2023, at the end of the 2023, uh, I have achieved the, the team goal will be what? I mean, you know, the, uh, the eight, uh, even higher aspirations. Uh, I just, I, I honestly, this is the truth. I think every NRL team says at the start of the season, the objective is to win the competition. Otherwise, we're kidding ourselves. Um, people say that's a crazy expectation. Um, you, you got to you got to try and chase that every day. Um, I think the goals. I think everyone's learning. You know, it's a bit of a cliche. It's a bit boring. But you got to set yourself goals. We've got to set ourselves smaller achievements along the way. So um, we've got to set ourselves a goal that day of training. We've got to set ourselves a, uh, from at the start of the week how we're going to look at the end of the week. We're going to talk about how we're going to look before Christmas, and we've got to break up those goals as we go. Um, because if you do that, you're a better chance of getting to the end goal. So um, putting one like a top eight or something, something like that, I just don't, I don't think we should be chasing that. We should be chasing to be the best possible team we can as quick as we can. Um, but we've got to understand how we're going to get there. And they're our goals. Um, they're our, they're our little goals to get to our major one. And we've got to set those every day. So um, we're, we're ambitious. We want to be successful. So... No one's going to sell ourselves short, but we're not going to refer to winning the comp or lifting trophies all the time. We're going to refer to what what is the hard work, what is the detail, and what do we need to get there. That's the most important thing we talk about all the time and refer to. Andrew Webster, great to have you uh, back uh, in the role with the Warriors and uh, particularly as the boss this time round. Uh, really looking forward to uh, the season uh, and uh, anything that comes out of the Warriors because um, we just do. We, we love the Warriors uh, over this part of the world, as you yeah. well know. So, hey, thanks very much, mate, for your time this morning. Uh, all the best with the pre-season, etc. We'll catch up at some stage shortly, I'm sure. Thank you. For sure. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. That really was a revealing interview there from Andrew Webster, uh, Smithy. Just four days into the job, I know you teed that one up there. You met up with Cameron George and, you know, he looks after you, the great mate that he is for you. Uh, Awesome to have him on. Awesome that he was so open with you as well. I shared that interview around the traps with Warriors fans. There's a few Facebook groups out there that are really passionate about the team as we've talked about. And that is officially the most listened to podcast or interview or anything that SCNZ has produced in the history of the radio station since its existence. That doesn't surprise me. You know, it doesn't surprise me because they are the most polarising sporting team this country has had for the last two decades. And I imagine they will continue to be for the next two decades as well, as long as they're in existence with uh, controversial owner Mark Robinson Cameron George trying to keep a lid on things and trying to get the things to run. Uh, but let's hope uh, with uh, Andrew Webster at the helm, it's a more balanced year and we don't have the issues we had off the park around mm. those different scenarios and they can just get on with playing footy. Uh, but, uh, you know, I look forward to that. It's part of um, my forecast for 2023. I I'm, I'm really am forecasting better things for the Warriors. I'm not necessarily saying they're going to make the playoffs or high end of the playoffs, but I'd like to think they threaten the eight seriously threaten the eight and have a less turbulent year that would be my my um my christmas wish for the warriors in fact uh logan going forward uh, in terms of the black caps we're in the middle of another season we need uh, them to keep performing keep developing finding new things out 
Uh, and of course, uh, the All Blacks um, have got a World Cup to look forward to. We've got a, a Women's Football World Cup. I don't quite realise, uh, and I don't think a lot of people realise how big this is going to be. You know, we talk about rank, uh, ratings, television ratings around the world, Logan. We talked about, what, a million people watching the Black Ferns play that final. Hmm. Look at the, globally what a, w- a women's football crowd will bring in or a match will bring in around the world. We're looking at telephone numbers here in terms of ratings. So we <laughs> went, we better be on our best performance, our best show. Not so much on the, on the, in terms of uh, you know, the, 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 the football ferns. I'm, I'm talking about it, the country as a whole. We got a great chance to market ourselves here. I almost thought you were going to say you'd be on your best behaviour there, New Zealand. It is going mm. to be incredible. I'm really excited for it. I've already got tickets uh, to go see USA v Vietnam of all uh, fixtures because it was the only wow. uh, it was the only afternoon one at Eden Park, and I thought this is a great opportunity uh, to take my two year old daughter Madison to a game, try to introduce her into that atmosphere. I've already got tickets as well to Football Ferns v USA. Eden Park because I think that's another amazing occasion that such a big team like the USA women's national team are going to come here before the World Cup has a bit of a warm-up. That, that is awesome. Uh, 2023 for me, Smithy, you know I'm a big basketball fan. If you're not on the New Zealand Breakers bandwagon already, everyone, you got to get on it because the way that they are playing under Modi Mayor is incredible they had such a tough year last season in the ANBL and man they they have just turned things around and I don't know how much of that is Modi how much of that is the playing group it's a much different playing group to what they've had but they've really fixated on building that breakers culture back up building up that identity yeah they've been away from New Zealand and that definitely didn't help Smithy but the way that they're coming together now the way that they're playing basketball putting defense first it reminds me a lot of of the great years where they won that three-peat. Well, they look good at the moment. Um, you know, they've, they've been fantastic in the early stages of it, leading up until this Christmas break. I think their form's been quite outstanding. Uh, it promises to be another year for both the men's uh, Phoenix team, of course, and the, uh, the women's Phoenix team. That franchise continues to grow on the back of their wonderful facilities, etc., that they've built for them down there in the Hutt Valley. Um, this is going to be a great year for the Yellow Fever. Uh, we've mentioned the Football uh, Women's World Cup as being the absolute icing on the, the cake of that. And speaking of cake, speaking of cake, it's Christmas cake time, which means uh, we got to go. Uh, thank you, everyone, uh, for listening to us throughout 2023. It's been great that you've interacted with us. Uh, without your texts, without your phone calls, it would make our job uh, so much harder. It's nice to know that uh, you are listening to us and taking part. So uh, we wish you all the best for a remainder of a happy Christmas. Um, on behalf of the Swinkles family, the Smith family, the Rarari family and the Hathaway family. Uh, we are the main components of uh, SENZ in the mornings. We wish you all the best over the holiday period. Please stay safe and be back listening to us as 2023 gets underway with a magnificent smorgasbord of sport for New Zealand fans to enjoy. Have a good one. Those Christmas lights
Christmas lights keep shining.